Well, it's my delight to be here with you, and my wife is on the third row there, so do say hi to Maria, and it's wonderful to be to be here amongst you. And greetings from the, the elders and the saints and members of Sheffield uh, Presbyterian Church. Um, it's my delight to preach. I'm going to give you the title of the sermon this morning. I've really thought about this a lot in thinking over the last two or three months coming, whether it it really is appropriate, this title, and I, and I stand by it. The title of the sermon this morning is The Most Important Sermon in the Bible. Uh, the Most Important Sermon in the Bible. I wonder if you were asked that question, what sermon you would come up with. Well, of course, to be the most important sermon in the Bible, it's going to come from Jesus of Nazareth, isn't it? It's not going to come from Jeremiah or Paul. It's going to be come from Jesus of Nazareth, who was the greatest preacher who ever lived. Would you agree with that? And um, the greatest preacher that's ever walked on this earth. He was the, the king of Israel, the eternal Logos, the second person of the Trinity who became flesh and dwelt among us. And he didn't just walk around doing miracles. He came first and foremost to herald the truth of God from heaven. Because Jesus himself told us that you shall know the truth, and it's the truth that shall set you free. And so the question this morning is, have you been set free by the truth according to Jesus Christ? Now, there was a man called John the Baptist, and he said this, he said he was not worthy to untie the sandal strap of Jesus. Just think on that. He was not worthy to untie the sandal strap of Jesus. And the question comes to us this morning is, how do you see yourself in comparison to Jesus Christ? Because that's what John the Baptist said, and John declared him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew, the apostle, declared Jesus to be the Messiah. And um, Nathaniel professed of Jesus and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So will you come with me now in this short time together and will you hear the preaching of the most important sermon of the Bible? And I'm, I want you to simply hear that sermon. I don't want you to turn to it in your own Bible. I want you to hear the Word of God. And there is a different experience, I believe, to simply hearing rather than following on your cell phone or even in your Bible. Let's hear together um, this narrative. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. 
So I've got three headings for us, three simple headings, and heading number one is Nicodemus, and heading number two is Jesus' Sermon Part 1, and heading number three is Jesus' Sermon Part 2. So let's look at the first heading first of all, Nicodemus. That's how the narrative begins. It says in 3 verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So we have this man's name, and as we have in the Gospels, we don't always have the names of people who were given, who are brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. But here, we're given this man's name, and that's the first heading, because he was a ruler of the Pharisees. Uh, yet, he wasn't regenerated like Abraham was. He was a spiritual teacher. Can you imagine that, teaching the Scriptures, and not even be born again? So it's possible to be an elder, to be a pastor, to be a deacon, to be an officer in the church, and not even to be born again, as this man, Nicodemus, wasn't. But at least the Holy Spirit was working in him and drawing him to Christ. And we don't want to go beyond the Scriptures and read into it what's not there, that the fact that he came by night, we don't know why he came by night, but what we know is, praise God, he came. Have you come to Jesus for cleansing with the blood of Christ? Maybe you're a covenant child here. Maybe you're sat in a row with your parents. You know the catechism. You could, you could recite John 3.16. But somehow, I'm not saying that you may not be born again. But maybe you're a covenant child here this morning. And you've not really encountered Jesus and fully surrendered yourself to him yet. And I'm speaking to you this morning, I'm speaking to anybody and asking you, have you fully surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ? Well, Nicodemus hadn't at this point, and he's actually on a bit of a mission. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We don't know if that's what he thinks, or whether that's what he's been sent to ask. But what we see is a glimmer and a spark of light here. This man is asking the right questions. He knows that nobody could do these miracles unless God is with him. And this is really at the front end of the ministry. And what he's about to hear is not what he expects to hear. Jesus doesn't talk about himself. He talks about the principles of the kingdom of God. There's a problem, isn't it, when a preacher talks about himself. We're not here to talk about ourselves. We're here to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a difference for me being stood here before the people of God behind the desk and then me talking to you over a sandwich downstairs. Right now, I'm standing in the stead of Christ, appealing to all of us, whoever you are, that we fully lay down our lives before Jesus Christ. Nicodemus hears the word of God, and we see a parallel here between Judas Iscariot and Nicodemus. Both of them hear these words from the lips of Christ, which we get in, th in, in John 3, 3, is the words, Jesus answered him, Nicodemus, and it's the words, truly, truly. Judas Iscariot also heard those same words from the lips of Christ before Satan entered into him in John 13. And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
Have you ever been betrayed? It's biblical to be betrayed in the church. It happened to Jesus. So what makes we think that we will get away with that one? And yet the difference is between Nicodemus and Judas Iscariot is that Nicodemus was brought to saving faith and repentance. Judas Iscariot, he never did. He died an apostate. But So that word truly, truly, we know you will have heard this before, I'm sure. Jesus uses a unique signature. You know, one of the things when you get married, you take on your husband's second name. And so our daughter got married recently, and she was practicing for a while to write out this new name, uh, Rivka Moore. And, and that becomes a unique signature for her when she gets married. But Jesus gives a unique prophetic signature never used before in the history of redemptive history. He uses the word, he says, Amen, Amen, I say unto you twice. It's got great gravitas whenever you hear that. Judas heard it, but now Nicodemus hears it. Amen, Amen, Nicodemus. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in the days of Billy Graham, we used to hear that a lot in Britain and also in America. It almost became a bit of a, a, bit of a shallow euphemism for Christianity. You know, they'd say, Are you all born again? Remember that? You don't even hear that anymore today in Britain. But the question has never changed. It didn't come from Billy Graham. It came from the lips of the Son of God. And I ask all of us here today the question, are you born again? That's an important question, isn't it? It's easier for me to ask uh, in, from the pulpit than to talk to you maybe face-to-face -face in the hallway. I mean, I was accustomed to or introduced afresh to Southern culture Weeks ago, when we first arrived, we went to a family party, and uh, there were people who came in there from California and different places to so these friends of ours, and, and I met one fellow who moved over to Georgia. He was a, maybe, maybe 23, 24, and he said he was a Christian. I thought, great. I said, you're a Christian. I said, when did he become a Christian? And he looked at me a little bit uncomfortable. He said, well, I've always been a Christian my whole life. I said, yeah, no, but when were you converted? And he looked even more uncomfortable. And then he, he sought to get, get rid of me and go and get some food from elsewhere. And I thought, what's wrong with this fella? And then I was told this is what you call American cultural Christianity. But the fact is, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And if there is only one person here who has never been born again, then I'm looking you in the eyeballs and saying, Take what Jesus Christ says seriously. We've encountered in Sheffield the last three years people who have actually come under the radar and it's turned out some of these people have never been born again and yet they've been faithful coming to two services and they've revealed themselves to be religious hypocrites in the household of God. And it won't be too late for that person to repent. It's only too late when you breathe your last. Nicodemus... Let me say two more things about him. We find him two other places in, uh, in John's Gospel. In John 7, uh, we find that Jesus has been attacked again. And who stands up for Jesus now? After he's heard this most important sermon, it was a custom-made sermon to Nicodemus. 
from John 3. And in John 7, Nicodemus stands up for Jesus. And it says in John 7, but this crowd does not know that the law is a curse. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who was one of them, as one of the Pharisees said to them, does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and, a, and, and learning what he does? And they replied to Nicodemus, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. He's now identifying himself with Jesus. If you're born again, you will identify yourself with Jesus Christ. Yes, we have to be a fool for Jesus' sake. And you're going to be more of a fool for Jesus' sake in 2023 in the United States of America than you would have been back in 2010. When I was on an airplane flying to the U.S. in 2010, it seemed every American I met was a Christian. Now in 2023, I sit next to Americans on the, on the airplane, and they're worse than Europeans. They're now bold to say, I am not a Christian. So we need to be prepared to stand up, stand up for Jesus. You soldiers of the cross. It's time for us to be salt and light again and, and to hold our light above and let that light shine for Jesus' sake. And one other time for Nicodemus before we look at this sermon, a little bit more detail is that who was at the funeral of Jesus? When I was a young Christian and began to preach, somehow in my sinful nature, I thought the, I didn't, I'd not learned the first question of the Shorter Catechism, which you all know, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Back in my mind, I thought the chief end of Kevin Bidwell as a young preacher will be to have a funeral that will be packed out and they'll be eulogizing how fantastic I was. And so I wouldn't have said that to you, but how many people were at the funeral of Jesus? About four people. Isn't that amazing? Imagine Jesus of Nazareth, the second person of the Trinity, the King of Israel, and there's about four people at his funeral. And apart from the women, there were two men who was at the funeral? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Isn't that beautiful? What a privilege Nicodemus was given to come to saving faith in Christ and to have been there to have buried our Savior. What a blessing. So, enter Nicodemus. Let's now look at this sermon. I'm not going to really focus on the narrative of the first half, which is about being born again. I'm going to finish off looking at the second half of the sermon. Uh, our second heading is Jesus' Sermon Part 1, which is the narrative about being born again. But and I'll, Let me just focus on that for a moment before we look at the sermon proper. Is that there is a distinction theologically between being born again and being converted. And so Jesus is teaching in this sermon part one, this narrative to Nicodemus, gives some of the highest truth that we get anywhere in the Bible. 
He's teaching him that you've got to be born anew, made anew, and you can't make it happen yourself. It comes from outside of yourself. Just like when we baptize people, I don't know how you do it, but I'm a pouring man myself. I love to get water and I like to pour it on people. And what does the pouring represent? Is It represents that every blessing comes from outside of ourselves. And I'm not a Baptist, but a friend of mine who was one of the fathers of our denomination, he said to me years ago, Kevin, when you, get, you start pouring, let them know they're going to get wet. And, uh, and so I like to use generous effusions of water. Why? Because our God is generous. And the blessings come from outside of ourselves. The new birth comes from outside of ourselves. But there can be a distinction between regeneration and conversion. Just stay with me for a moment. Uh, I mean, I've never given birth to a baby. You probably know that. Um, I remember on one occasion I was telling people about how painful giving birth was, and my wife was there. And she more or less said, can you shut up? I said, why? Why?" I said, you don't know what it's like to give birth to a baby. And I was explaining that when the second one comes along, it's not as difficult and so forth. <laughs> Someone once said, they said, if men had babies, they'd only have one. Uh, but uh, where was I going with this? I don't know. But it's just good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? There's nothing better than to be a Christian. But Jesus said, you must be born again. When, when a woman conceives, she never knows exactly when that happened. It's a secret work, isn't it? Now, I know with science today, they might be able to say, and it was on this, whatever. But, you know, when the, when, the, when the baby's conceived in the womb, you never know exactly. And that's like the new birth. It's something that's supernatural. But nobody can deny, because every, you know, ordinarily speaking, every baby that's conceived, taking it goes to full term, that that child will be born. And that's like the distinction there between conception and birth, between regeneration and conversion. If anybody is regenerated, it will always lead to conversion. And once that baby comes out and starts screaming, nobody can deny a baby's been born. And that's the same with Nicodemus. He's now hearing the truth, truth that he's never had instruction from seminary in the Pharisees. He's now getting it from the lips of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And somehow the Holy Spirit then takes what Jesus said to Nicodemus and began to water it and water it until he actually comes to faith in Christ. And then actually gets converted to the point that at the end of the Gospels of Jesus, he is now put his flag high in the air and saying, I don't care what all the Pharisees do. I'm a disciple of Jesus. So if you're, and that's what we're really looking for. We're looking for conversion because we can't see the new birth. But we can all see the fruits of conversion. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. What are the fruits on your tree? You only need two or three bananas on a tree. Maybe a bad crop, but you get two or three bananas, you'll know it's a banana tree. So sometimes there aren't lots of fruits, but just the two or three fruit will show someone if they're a Christian so we can have an assurance of grace to keep persevering. 
And as we come to the third and last heading, Jesus' Sermon Part 2. Because I want to encourage us that you can be regenerated, you can be converted, and you can have an imperfect understanding of assurance of salvation. Now, when I would have heard that a few years ago, I would have, it would have gone straight over my head. And I'd have thought that's for somebody else, because I, for a lot of my time, never doubted my assurance. And yet, you know, don't we, don't we thank God for sanctification? Do you thank God for sanctification? Do you thank God that you don't write your own book of providence? It would be a disaster if we wrote, in our own, wrote our own book of providence. It would be something like this. And you lived happily ever after. And God has trials for us. And since I last saw you, God led me through a trial where I doubted my own salvation. Can you believe that? And yet at the same time, I never doubted that I was called to preach. But I thank God for the difficulties that God led me through to humble me. Because you can be have your assurance shaken, and yet if you are born again, you never lose your salvation. Isn't that great? Why? Because we lean upon Christ. Everything about salvation is from the Lord from beginning to end. Your salvation, your assurance can be shaken but it can never be taken from you. What a Savior we have. What a gracious God we have. Our third and last setting is Jesus' Sermon Part 2. And I have to say, it's from verses 9 through to 21. And I think overall there's been an often imbalance that people don't connect this narrative together. First, you've got this narrative about you must be born again, and then you get the most important sermon in the Bible of what Jesus preaches to Nicodemus. And in it, you get one of the most popular verses there is, which is John 3.16, and people don't even realize that that was the ser- part of the sermon of the most important sermon in the Bible, which Jesus preaches to Nicodemus and the Apostle John and Peter and Andrew, they, they're there listening to this sermon as well, and they write it down later on. And so we're going to look briefly at seven points, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ellis, not eight, seven points, uh, from this sermon. And all I'm going to do in the time we've got is just give you a, a taster that you may go away throughout this Lord's Day and this week and confer more as a family and with each other about this sermon. Uh, you know, that you would confer about this sermon. Number one, how does it begin? It's the third time now that the Lord Jesus uses this phrase in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And what does he say to him again? Amen, amen, I say unto you. Let's say that together. Amen, amen, I say unto you. Come one more time. You're Presbyterians, aren't you? I thought you were more vocal. You're Americans. Really? Amen, amen, I say unto you. You were quieter than a British congregation then. 
That's the third time that Jesus uses this with Nicodemus. What is he emphasizing? The gravitas of who is speaking. And we need to come back to the, the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus with a fresh sense of the fear of God. We, you know, there's an English proverb that familiarity breeds contempt. What we're hearing here, imagine we're hearing it for the first time, the gravitas of the Son of the living God saying to Nicodemus, preaching to him, Amen, Amen, I say to you. He says this, we, and he's now referring to himself and his apostolic band, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So the first point is that he uses this introduction to his sermon of truly, truly, or verily, verily, or literally, amen, amen. So introduces it with real gravitas. The second thing is, he tells Nicodemus about the incarnation of Christ. The incarnation of Christ. That's point number two. He says in 3 verse 13, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So he tells Nicodemus who he is, that he is the Son of Man. And he's telling him that he is... He has come from heaven. And we need a recovery in the church again of the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus. Why do I say that? It's because technology is overrunning the church and we're running into it with our eyes closed. God didn't send an email from heaven. God didn't send a tweet from heaven. He came himself and the word became flesh. You see, we're here for a, a four weeks. You cannot replace face-to-face -face fellowship. What does it mean to be biblical fellowship? It means you can touch the person that you're with. And they could touch Jesus Christ. And so we need a recovery of the doctrine of the incarnation. That's point number two, which Jesus teaches. We're thinking about having a, a conference in Sheffield on technology in the church. Guess of the people who are most excited about it is those who are between 20 and 30. Because they know the invasive inroads of technology. And we need to think through that. I'm, I'm not, well, I think I am anti-technology, actually. I think I am. I'm an old man. No, it's not about being old. It's about being biblical. We need, you know, we talk about FaceTime, but you can't replace FaceTime in preaching. You can't replace live, sitting under live preaching. Point number three, Jesus points to redemption. Look at this. Look at what he says. Number one, amen, amen, I say to you. Number two, the incarnation. Number three, redemption. Look at what he preaches to Nicodemus in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, uh, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he then points Nicodemus, who knows the Scriptures, to Numbers, what would say Numbers chapter 21, where the people are disobeying God, they're sinning against God, they're sinning against Moses, and God releases these fiery serpents to start biting the people of God. And so then Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord says to him, put a bronze serpent on a pole, and whoever looks to that bronze serpent will live. 
And now Jesus preaches that to Nicodemus. And he says this, Whoever believes in him, the Son of Man, may have eternal life. What good news we have this morning, Parks and Turner. Isn't this good news? This is not healing from a serpent. Yesterday when Joe, Mr. Fowler was flying on this, this Chattahoochee River, he saw a big snake flying across the river. You know, if they bite you, you'll need to go to the hospital. But there's something far worse than a snake bite. It's, it's not believing in Jesus. And he says to Nicodemus, Jesus preaches Jesus and says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here's a question for you again. Do you believe in Jesus? If the answer is no, then I'm going to call you to repent. But if the answer is yes, you are of most blessed above all peoples because you and I have eternal life. We're going to spend eternity with the Lord. Isn't that marvelous? Well, point number four is Jesus emphasizes the love of God the Father. He says, for God so loved the world. So Jesus preaches a gospel of repentance, but he preaches about the love of God. That's in its context. We cannot emphasize the love of God enough. There's something in us that desires to be loved, isn't there? We, des we need to be loved. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that God so loved the world. So we mustn't shy back on telling people about the love of God. Point number um, five is discriminatory preaching. That is the possibility of perishing and of not having eternal life. And so Jesus says to him, and uh, I'm going to change this now. I'm going to come to another point in a moment. Because the ESV, I like the ESV, but it mistranslates verse 16 and verse 18. There's a Greek word there called monogenes. Monogenes. Should we say that out loud together? Ready? One, two, three. Monogenes. Come on, one more time. Monogenes. It's one of the most important Greek words in the Bible. And it should be translated, the only begotten. The ESV translates, I like the ESV, but it translates it wrongly, the only. But it's not only unique, it's the only begotten. The New American Standard, the New King James, the King James, all the Greek fathers understood it that way. We'll come back to it in a minute. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So here we find in the most well-known Bible verse what we call discriminatory preaching. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. And there's no such thing as purgatory. Purgatory does not exist. What's the worst way to die? It's not cancer. It's not a car wreck. It's to die in your sins. That's the worst way to die. And Jesus preaches discriminatory preaching. It's either eternal life or perishing. Well, point number six is this phrase, the only begotten Son. And let me just make this point. I know I'm going on a bit longer than you probably normally have, but I'm not in town that often. So you can bear with me just a bit longer, amen? We've got the whole Lord's Day, haven't we? Amen? I mean, some of us have driven from, 
from near Powder Springs to get here, for what our money's worth. Um, because this is a really important point. I'm not going to rush this. I'm prepared to be chastised by the session, saying you went on for too long. You went, all, you went almost as long as Joe Fowler does at his men's club on Wednesday. But this is a really important point, this. In John 3.16 and John 3.18, I've read John 3.16, but I'll read 17 and 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In verse 18, catch this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So this Greek word, which is what? Well done, that's great. Monogenes is found five times in the New Testament. But it's first found from the lips of Jesus preaching to Nicodemus in the presence of the Apostle John. So when John writes the prologue, John uses monogenes twice. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only monogenes, the only begotten Son from the Father. And listen to this, John 1.18, we find monogenes again in John 1.18 in the prologue. Where does John get his theology from? He gets his theology from the most important sermon in the Bible, which is what Jesus preached to Nicodemus in the ears of all the apostles. And in John 1.18, this is the fourth time we find monogenes. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten God who is at the Father's side he has made him known. Jesus, whom I'm preaching to you, is the only begotten Son of God. And even in John 1.18, he's called the only begotten God. He's equal with the Father. And there never was a time when the Son was not. He was eternally begotten. And you say, yeah, but when was it? it was, he was begotten in eternity. And like begets like, and he's, he's co-equal with the Father, full of grace and truth, of one essence. The Father is unbegotten, the Son is eternally begotten, and the Holy Spirit is neither unbegotten nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and from the Son, and these three are one. And that's about as much as we can say about the essence of the Trinity. My last point, number Seven is this, is in verse 17 and 18, is to believe or not to believe. And that's what Jesus presses. He's not pressing for Nicodemus now, whether he's born again. He's saying you're either going to believe or you're not going to believe. And that's just, I've introduced you to the kernel of what I believe is the most important sermon in the Bible. And I want to leave this with you, that you would you would confer among yourselves about this sermon. You would consider whether you hate the light or whether you love the light and turn to it. That we may be men and women who are all in for Jesus Christ. And I want to pray for us before I announce this wonderful hymn. 
And there may even be some people here who've grown weary or even lukewarm. And I want to pray for us. Shall we all bow before the only begotten God? And let's be still for a moment before I announce the, the next hymn. Let's be still before the Lord and just simply examine our hearts before the Lord for a moment before I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the foolishness of preaching, which is kind of humbling when we think that if preaching is called foolishness, that even the preaching of Jesus Christ would have been considered foolish. But yet it's your primary means of bringing people to a saving knowledge of Christ. And we pray for what we've heard this morning that you would keep speaking to us. If there's anybody within the sound of my voice who's yet to turn and believe in Christ, we pray you would not let them go, but they will be delivered from perishing. And if there's anybody here who's grown weary or complacent, that you would deliver them from a lukewarm spirit, that we may all be men and women who heartily seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. Please be gracious to us in the United States and the United Kingdom. And would you revive your work in the midst of years and cause the gospel to thunder north, south, east, and west. For it's for the glory of Jesus Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.